setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks for joining us on Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. As many of you know, I'm professor of psychology at the University of Albany, author of the book Understanding Marijuana, chair of the board of directors at Normal, And I pen the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. We're here to burn away the cannabis myth with science. Today we talk to delightful author and activist Sherry Sicard, and we'll have our regular segment on self-compassion and the art of activism. Sherry's the author of numerous books, including The Cannabis Gourmet Cookbook and Mary Jane, The Complete Marijuana Handbook for Women. She has tons of other publications on all kinds of legal issues and food and travel, She's also one of the driving forces at Can Do Foundation, Clemency for All Nonviolent Drug Offenders. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Hey, I'm, I'm super delighted to have you here. I have an autographed copy of the Cannabis Gourmet Cookbook, and it's one of my favorite books. Um, I know you've got a personal website where folks can get it. Can you just let us know that address? Sure. Well, it is available on all kind of booksellers, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. And my personal blog, though, is CannabisSherry.com, and Sherry is spelled C-H-E-R-I, CannabisSherry.com. And I just want to let everybody know, you still have those eat-your-weed aprons? <laughs> we do, yeah. I, I Beautiful aprons embroidered with eat-your-weed on it. <laughs> and, uh, all right. They are functional as well as stylish. And uh, <laughs> at the blog, you can also get... More recipes that aren't in the book, how-to articles. I do a weekly news roundup there and various other articles. That's great. So, I mean, not everybody's a Gordon Ramsay in the kitchen, and I felt like your your uh, recipes are really accessible and just wanted to say thanks for that. Oh. You got any, like, just off-the-thumb tips for folks who are not necessarily the the greatest cooks on earth? Well, yeah, I can address some common uh, mistakes I think that people make. Uh, One of the biggest ones I see a lot of people making, and there's even a commercial product on the market that does this, but I don't know why. People tend to want to grind their plant material to a fine powder before making butter or oil, and this just makes no sense. Uh, What you're trying to extract is on the leaves, not in them. So grinding that plant material to a powder, all that does is put more green flavor and color into your food and more plant material into your food, which is not what you want. You want to extract the trichomes. So I would, I tell people just break it up with your fingers when making butter and oil and use it that way, but don't grind it to a powder. (laughs) So there's a common mistake. That's great advice right off the bat. I I feel like uh, old Chef Rye used to really cook the hell out of it too. It'd be like 45 minutes in the double boiler and... Uh, it sounds like that just makes everything taste more green. Well, maybe. I usually use, I like to use a slow cooker, and I will let it go for several hours, maybe three, four hours. Now, there are some people that let it go for 24 hours or more, and I don't think that does anything other than what you said, make it more green. The other thing I do is I always add water to the mix when I'm infusing, whether it's butter or oil, because water 
will keep that temperature steady. You're not going to burn anything or scorch anything. And it'll also leach out some of that green flavor, too. The chlorophyll will go out in the water. Not all of it, but some. As my chemistry teacher in high school used to say, it's the universal solvent. (laughs) There you go. So I'm curious, too, because you allude to mixing tinctures into food at the end of things, and uh, you make it sound like that's that's a pretty straightforward process. Uh, Any rules of thumb for the tinctures? It's it's pretty easy, and I don't go into a lot of recipes because, as I said, that's all you have to do is add the tincture and mix it in. I don't personally think it's always the best use of tincture, um, so I don't usually cook with that, but some people like to, and it's certainly a very easy and accessible way. I like cooking with concentrates a lot. Hash and keef, dry ice keef is great. It dissolves right into foods. So that's one of my favorite methods of cooking. That sounds great. I'd like to turn to the Mary Jane book, which I also really love. Uh, What inspired you to write this one? Actually, my publisher did. Uh, They had been looking for someone for over two years to write this book for women. Uh, Seal Press does books for women by women. They came to my agent uh, and said, we have been looking for her for a long time because all the books out there are for dudes. And they wanted one that just appealed to women in a better tone that women would relate to. And it also focused more on issues that were of interest to women, sometimes the parenting issues, women's health issues, uh, the stigma that women deal with sometimes more so than men and um, also just the pop culture things that appeal to women more like women in movies and and TV that smoke weed and things like that so it was really fun to write well as a guy who loves women I think you really nailed it I think you really hit this one on the on the head I always ask do you think the activism world is different for women than for men you know not Really, we seem to be taking over lately, so I can't say that there's a shortage of women. Different, I think maybe we approach things differently than men, and uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, society seems to take up, sit up and take notice when, when women get involved in a political issue and start making it their cause. I don't know if that's because we're mom or the nurturers or what it is, but for whatever reason, society seems to notice when the women get involved, so I think that's a good thing. You've got a great chapter in Mary Mary Jane about being an open advocate, and Mm -hmm. I was just curious if you'd share your story about coming out of the cannabis closet yourself. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, it was a gradual process. People asked me, what was that moment? And there was no moment. It just kind of evolved. When I first got into cannabis, I went to Oaksterdam University, and I remember watching Dale Sky Jones and thinking... Uh, boy, she's amazing and brave, and I could never be that person to be so open about my cannabis use. And then in the course of six months, the more I learned, the less I could shut up about it. And without realizing it, I became that person. So it just was a natural progression. It's kind of once you learn the truth about something, can you ignore that it exists or that these wrongs are there? I couldn't. you know. And that's the same thing that got me involved with working with prisoners, serving life sentences. Once I really realized this was going on and these people are going to die in prison if we don't do something, I, I can't not do something about that. And did people freak out when you were more open? No, surprisingly not. People were very open. I can only think of maybe two instances of people who weren't that I lost friends or family members over. You know, I'm, um, my half-brother didn't approve at all. And then I had one friend who I thought was going to be open who wasn't at all. 
He just bought into the uh, gateway drug theory hook, line, and sinker, and no amount of science was going to convince him otherwise. But aside from that, everyone was very positive. I was really surprised at that. The last people I came out to was my uh, much, much older sister and brother-in-law, who are very conservative, very religious Mormons. And they were I came out to them before the cookbook came out, because I thought, they're going to know about this if I have a book about it, so I better be honest. And they were very uh, supportive and very um, open to it, and they've been helping tell other people now. They've come to books and movies, and they read my books, and they know more about it than most politicians now. So that's amazing to me. Oh, that's super. So you do have a delightful chapter called Buds in the Bedroom. <laughs> I think this is the topic I get the most mail about. Can you give us some broad strokes about it? Well, blood just it's about cannabis and sex. I also call it the Kana Sutra. Uh, just how cannabis can incent, uh, enhance people's sex lives. Um, not everybody. I do have a sidebar on that. Some people don't find it an enhancement, but most people do. So this chapter just kind of goes into ways that you can incorporate cannabis into your bedtime activities uh, in a way that makes sense for you. That's just delightful. I think it's super. We're going to take a break now and, and hear a word from our sponsors, but we'll be back with more from Cannabis Sherry, Sherry Sicard. Uh, in a few moments. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis business plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at CarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com.
time to fan the fire on some more burning issues only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back with Cannabis Sherry Sicard, author of the book Mary Jane. And we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, was there anything more to say about Buds in the Bedroom there, Sherry? Well, I think that's best left for the individual to experience, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got to admit, it's 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 so private and personalized, I'm not sure what else to say. You've got a chapter, uh, it's just near and dear to my heart, about parenting. I'm curious if you have any tales about that or uh, just a, a general approach. Well, I, I put in the disclaimer, I am not a parent, but I did interview tons of parents for this chapter in the book. So I got lots of feedback from many, many different parents on how they dealt with the issues. Um, and the general consensus was that, you know, speaking to your children in an age-appropriate manner and honesty was best for most of them. I did have a few couple parents that had children on the autism spectrum who were not quite as open with their kids just because it was very disrupting between the contrast of what they were hearing in school and what the truth is. But most parents found that honesty was the best policy, at least in an age-appropriate manner. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. It really is just part of a, a bigger relationship set of issues. And I think if, you know, if you're candid with your kids, they'll be candid with you. I wanted to move on to Can Do. Can you tell us about the foundation? Yes, Can Do stands for Clemency for All Nonviolent Drug Offenders. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I started getting involved with prisoners who are serving life sentences for nonviolent marijuana offenses. And um, for a while, I was just doing this on my own. I really wasn't part of any organization, but I started doing uh, websites for some of the prisoners and social media outreach, and it grew from there. And I was doing lots of interviews for the book and other things, and I always got asked about this for an organization. And so I joined up with Amy Pova, who had started Can Do, and Amy... Uh, is an amazing woman who is a clemency recipient. She served nine years of a 24-year sentence before being granted clemency from Bill Clinton. And she was advocating for women prisoners, and she is also a filmmaker. She did the documentary 420. And at the time when I met her, I made her aware of the uh, lifer issue, and that got them into the film and she decided to expand Candu's advocacy to include all marijuana prisoners as well. So that's how I came on board, became the vice president, and we're working on some really exciting projects now to support clemency efforts for some of these guys. And I know we can get to that from the Cannabis Cherry website, but does Candu have its own website as well? It does. It's canduclemency.com. Oh, that's just great. Listen, the, the most moving part of it for me is this teddy bear project. Can you walk through some of that? Uh, that's something Amy started at Christmas time just to send teddy bears and other Christmas gifts to the children of some of these inmates. And she's trying very hard now, and we don't know if it's going to work to get permission to where we could actually send the bears to the prison so the prisoner can give it to the kid, which would be really wonderful. But so far, that's not allowed. But uh, right now, we do send the bears to, to the families directly. I, I got to say, just the pictures alone on that are so moving. I, I mean, it, I'm, I, it's hard to, to stay dry-eyed looking at that. What is it, the deal with, uh, I mean, when a kid goes to visit a, a parent who's in jail for cannabis? It's really heartbreaking to see and also heartwarming because I, I have been to visit uh, at prison several times and have watched it in the visiting room. And 
There are some families that really are diligent and visit often and they really keep a strong relationship and bond going and others that almost never see their kids. But it, it is kind of heartbreaking to watch. But but it but there's bonding and love you can see that goes on there too. It's just a sad thing. But as far as the teddy bears going to the prison, you can't bring anything into prison. So that would take special permission to get that to the prisoner to give to their kid. I mean, so all you're really asking is for somebody who's a prisoner to be able to hand a teddy bear to his or her own child. Correct. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, hopefully, we will get that permission. We'll see. But, you know, as it stands now, that's not allowed. Um, the rules are very strict, what you can and can't do in prison, what you can bring in, things like that. But they do tend to be a little laxer when it comes to the kids, so we're hoping this will work. And and how did you get into this? I mean, the prison system is pretty intense. It is. Um, I just became, a, I was aware, like some people, in a vague urban legend sort of way that we had people serving life, but I didn't think it was that serious or there there were that many, and then I learned there was, and then started writing to them, and it, it just haunted me. The issue just haunted me, and I'm just so grateful I teamed up with Amy, who had similar goals of helping these people get clemency. Um, we have a new program that we're just working on right now, so I don't have the details yet, too, of how we're going to be raising funds. Uh, Stephanie Landa and Dina Browner are working on this to raise funds for commissary for prisoners, too, that we're going to be doing. And I find anytime I'm having a discussion about people who are in prison, uh, the listeners can really shut down. What What's your experience like? That's true. Yeah, t- people tend to think, well, do the, they did the crime, do the time. But people don't realize that people didn't do much to get in there, and especially some of these lifers. We have murderers getting out. These guys have life without parole sentences, and think about that. Charles Manson comes up for parole. These guys do not. And they're mostly in there for conspiracy laws, and that's something nobody talks about either. You always hear about mandatory minimums and three strikes, but really the culprit in most of these cases is conspiracy, which holds one person responsible for the crimes of a whole group, regardless of how much or how little they did. The other factor that comes into play is if you don't, quote-unquote, cooperate and tell the authorities who all did everything else, somebody's going to do that on you. And that's how these people got life sentences, sometimes for doing very little. For instance, Craig Cecil did nothing but repair the trucks that were used to haul marijuana. Um, Leopoldo Hernandez Miranda was a day laborer tasked with watching a house where marijuana was stored. So that's all they did, but they were part of a conspiracy, and they took it to trial, and that's the way our drug laws work in this country. They want you to take a deal and rat out on others, and if you don't, you get punished very harshly. So there's a number of stories like that, and the public does not understand that almost any one of us, almost everyone, could be caught right now in a conspiracy if they wanted to get you. So I have a a friend in the alcohol world whose son actually just had uh, some baggies from his own lunch in in a little lunch bag separate Mm -hmm. from some cannabis and actually got uh, put on trial for conspiracy to distribute simply because of that. Right. It it blows my mind. Go right ahead. 
I said, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, there's all kinds of mind-blowing stories like that, too. Uh, with the women prisoners that we advocate for, a lot of times they were the wives or the girlfriends. That, that was Amy's story. It was her ex-husband that was doing this. She really had nothing to do with it other than, you know, she knew in the back of her mind, but they had already separated. Uh, he was an attorney. He did not lose his bar license. He didn't lose any assets. He didn't do a single day, day of prison time. She was sentenced to 24 years. Ah, uh, that just, it breaks my heart. It really, it's just, it's just too much. In part, the crime is really something that didn't actually happen. It's just... Uh, they attribute some kind of intention of something happening. Absolutely, yeah. It takes nothing to be caught in a conspiracy, and you can get a life sentence on a conspiracy charge, and that's how this has happened over and over again. And the justice system is so incredibly broken at every level. I don't know what the answer is, so that's why we're trying for clemency. Otherwise, these guys will die in prison, and most of them are senior citizens that have been in for decades However, the practice is still going on. Our newest lifer got a life sentence last year. Uh, uh, that just, I mean, it just breaks my heart. Once in a while, we do get a good story about this. There was a, a pardon that I, I think you mentioned. Would you care to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, three marijuana lifers have gotten out over the course of the last three years. Uh, Daryl Hayden was recently pardoned by President Obama. That's the only marijuana case I know of that he has done a pardon. The rest have been for crack. Larry Duke got a compassionate release last year after serving 26 years. And Randy Lanier also got out uh, through specifics that were unique to his case last year after serving 27 years. Wow. Well, that does make me a little little more optimistic. It's yeah, been a- we have at least 35 more that I know of, and there's probably many, many more than that. Well, it's been a delight talking to you. Uh, thanks so much to Sherry Sicard, the author of Mary Jane, The Complete Marijuana Handbook for Women. And can you just tell us again your website? It's CannabisSherry.com, and Sherry is spelled C-H-E-R-I. Thanks so much for, for being here, Sherry, and I'm, I'm optimistic we'll have you on the show yet again. Can't wait. Thanks, Mitch. And thanks for joining us on Burning Issues. Uh Thanks again to our guest, Sherry Sicard, and we'll be right back after these messages. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime. 
Only on CannabisRadio.com. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, welcome back to Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks for joining us. Here's our next chapter of self-compassion in the art of activism, the portion of the show that encourages all our listeners to take good care of themselves and each other. Today, we'll offer some praise for slowing down. We're all in a fast world together. I doubt I'm the only caffeinated, sleep-deprived, under-exercised sensation seeker eager to have a laugh a minute and a thrill a second. I don't need to tell everybody about the blazing pace of our world. We've got best-selling books like The One-Minute Manager Meets the Monkey, Quick Fix Recipes, 60 Seconds to Slim, and I kid you not, Orgasm in Five Minutes. Wow, sometimes faster is definitely not better. I'm not making this up. A friend of mine bought a book about slowing down, but he said he had to speed read it. I even read a story about a man who claimed he prayed too fast. Mindfulness experiments and all that research used to have half-hour meditations, but now they're cut to 20 minutes. We're really in a hurry. The irony is that cannabis activists were supposed to be these unmotivated do-nothings, but they're the busiest people I know. If ever there was a message from a good indica, it's to slow down. Now, the obvious remedy to a fast-paced world is simple, but it's not always easy. A couple of recommendations might make slowing down a little less difficult. We might think before talking, loosen our schedules, do fewer things, and limit distractors. Now, watch your mind leap at the thought of each of those. We've talked about the importance of our thoughts before, and they really are critical when it comes to balancing out our pace in life. Our minds seem to have evolved to run fast, but we're not battling saber-toothed tigers anymore. The fundamental thought underlying all this rushing is usually, I gotta get this done or something bad will happen. But is that really true? What's on our to-do list that can't wait one more day? Sure, we'd all like to get the whole list done, but it's only a preference. It's not essential. Is rushing really worth our peace of mind? Now, I'll be the first to admit these changes take time. We can't slow down quickly. But these changes really might be worth it. Imagine feeling a little less stressed, anxious, or rushed. The first recommendation sounds a little strange on radio, 
but we need to take time to think before we talk. It doesn't sound important, but these thoughts are really the root of the entire hurry plant. Our minds are constantly telling us that we need a perfect response to every question in every conversation, and that perfect response is somehow supposed to spill from our mouths immediately. What's wrong with taking an extra few seconds? Is dead air time some kind of tragedy? It's really okay to say, hey, I'm pausing for a moment because I want to say what I really mean. Who wouldn't appreciate your care and precision? And it's no crime to start a sentence and say, hey, wait, I um, let me try that again. Once our speech becomes less pressured and less perfectionistic, our thoughts will also be less rushed and less ruminative, and then slowing down can become a new habit. So in addition to this, we can loosen up the schedule. We've got all these goal-setting time management gurus out there who can't seem to let a minute go by unscheduled. Really? I had a friend in grad school who would fill up the day so badly that he'd forget to give himself time to move from one thing to the next. God forbid we allot 15 minutes for a drive that might only take 10. But what happens when we schedule everything back to back? We never catch our breath. It feels frantic. We're always late for something. And then the dominoes fall, so we're late for the next 11 things, too. Our minds probably squeal at the thought of loosening up the schedule. But it connects to another recommendation, doing fewer things. We might actually do fewer things in a day. Is that a tragedy? Imagine doing one thing at a time, though, and doing it really well. Wouldn't it be more efficient and enjoyable? I'm not talking about cutting out the essentials, but we can lay off the distractors. How do email and texting and social media contribute? Something about having all these so-called tasks just adds to the hurried nature of the day. What would happen if email and Insta-Twitter and Facetagram and the phone all got turned off for just an hour? Imagine the concentration, the devotion, the chance to think one thought after another, the chance to complete a task without interruption. And has there ever been an email, text, or post that couldn't wait just one more hour? So envision a week like that. We might think before talking, loosen our schedules, do fewer things, and limit distractors. Willing to experiment? We've got nothing to lose but our haste. No one should have to get slim in 60 seconds. And no one should have to have an orgasm in five minutes. Hey, thanks for listening to Burning Issues. My hearty thanks to producer extraordinaire Brasco and our guest, author Cannabis Sherry Sicard. Don't forget to join us again next week. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.